I V M. Welcome to episode 44 of the Edges and Sludges Cricket Podcast. I'm Ashwin, and this week, one day ahead of the Ranji Trophy final, we're releasing for you a very special episode where my co-podcaster DJ had a great conversation with an expert on all things Ranji Trophy and Indian first-class cricket. So without further ado, let's take you to today's interview conducted by DJ where he talks to Alok. Ever since the Canteen 11 comment was made by Kerry O'Keefe during the Boxing Day test, there's been a lot of discussion about first-class cricket in India. So we wanted to speak to someone who's really followed the Ranji Trophy through the years and get some proper insight into the first-class game in India. Our guest today is a man with many talents. He's a policy guru, a Supreme Court lawyer, a published cricket info writer. He also runs the only Kannada cricket podcast, Cricket Kannadega, and has just started Gantantra, a political podcast. But for me, and for many of my year at law school, his late-night classes and notes are why we passed our exams. I have immense pleasure in introducing Alok Prasanna Kumar. Alok, thank you for joining me on the Edges and Sledges Cricket Podcast today. My pleasure, DJ. So, let's get the easy stuff out of the way first, right? Ever since I've known you, you've been interested in domestic cricket and Ranji Trophy. How did you develop this interest? And since when have you been following domestic cricket in India? So, I've followed domestic cricket in India from almost as early as I can remember. Because my grandfather was a cricket fanatic times infinity. It's actually in the family because my uh, grandfather's younger brother played domestic cricket in India. He was he played for the then Mysore state, which is now Karnataka. He was also the first person to score a century for Mysore and Ranji Trophy. Wow. Awesome. So, so the talent has come down to you. The cr- cricketing talent has obviously been passed down to you. Nothing, nothing. No cricketing talent has come to me. One of my uncles also played for Karnataka in the 70s. In the late 60s and 70s, over a period of, I think, 8 to 10 years, he made a few appearances for the state. He was a bowling all-rounder. And uh, yeah, we've, we've like had a family connection to Karnataka cricket for quite a while now. So, so do you want to give our listeners the names of your family? You can look them up on Cricket Info and check all their stats and everything. Yes, absolutely. My granduncle, my grandfather's younger brother was Captain K. Timapaya. Some of you who are followers from India may remember him as the guy who was president of the KSA for the longest time ever. And he was also manager of the Indian cricket team for a brief while. My uncle is Mr. Lakshmi Narayan, uh, C.R. Lakshmi Narayan. He played for Karnataka in the 60s and 70s. So you can check them out. They have played for a while. Brilliant. So, Alok, do you want to give our listeners who aren't all that familiar with the structure of domestic cricket in India a brief summary of how the system works, how it worked and how it's changed of late? Yeah. So, if you go back a little bit in history, the Ranji Trophy started off between the provinces of British India and some of the princely states then, right? This was in the thirty, uh, in the yeah early 30s. And a lot of the teams we have today didn't exist then. There was another more popular domestic tournament in India, which was the Pentangular, which used to be played between teams of Hindus, Muslims, Europeans, Parsis and the rest. It started off as the Triangular, became the Pentangular, was played in Bombay, hugely popular, ended around the time of independence because Gandhi basically said, you know, what the hell, how, why are you playing in religious based teams? It seems wrong to me. So Ranji Trophy became the more popular um, tournament then. So, is the particular why you have the different Jimkhanas in Bombay, like the Parsi Jimkhana, the Hindu Jimkhana and stuff, right? Exactly. Exactly. 
so if if uh, a book recommendation uh, ramchandra guha's uh, beyond the boundary sort of goes much more in depth into the history as to how the parsis were the first to take up cricket then the hindus because they wanted to compete with parsis took up cricket and then the muslims like likewise and of course the british being the british felt each one should have their own gymkhana and that's how the teams sort of formed up much later so 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 then the ranji trophy over the years you know sort of so which is why you will find in the ranji trophy the state of Guj- uh, gujarat right which was formed in 1956 actually has three teams located in the state because gujarat was formed by putting together different parts of various states so even though the boundaries of gujarat today as we know was created in 1956 it actually contained three different ranji trophy teams which was the state of gujarat itself baroda and saurashtra likewise maharashtra which has now three teams which is bombay maharashtra vidarbha so you have a lot of teams across the country clinging to old boundaries and these were all state cricket associations or you know various cricket associations of various kinds cut to cut to cut a long story short the structure underwent a dramatic change this year we have now 37 teams and this increase has happened because the supreme court which is overseeing india's cricket decided that you know all, i mean sort of pretty much said that every state should have its own team and should be represented so which is why a lot of teams in the northeast which people which say don't have very great roots in cricket now have a first class team so to as the structure as it stands is in four divisions you have elite a and elite b and you have elite c these are the three top divisions so to speak and you have plate now very weirdly and because is the first time that they're trying this elite a and elite b even though they play only between each other are merged together for the purposes of determining ranking so the top 5 teams from elite a and elite b put together go to the knockouts they are joined by two teams from elite c and one team from plate uh, now we had the quarter finals semi finals and now two teams have emerged which is vidarbha and saurashtra so this is the first time that this structure has been followed now for the last decade or so like a last couple of decades what had happened was that you had uh, an elite and a plate division and that elite division was then split into two and you had a plate division and now you've had a fourth division added so which is i mean it's it's got an incredibly complicated if you want to know how actually complicated it was we had zonal divisions so karnataka for instance was in the southern zone which had six teams you had a central zone you had a northern zone east and a west here's the interesting thing it was not just states we also had two teams which didn't belong to any state we continue to have them of course there is the railways team which represents indian railways which is officially the world's largest non military employer and you have the services team which represents the indian army navy air force and the coast guard so this is the incredibly complex structure of the ranji trophy i could spend another half an hour talking about the intricacies of the structure themselves but very broadly and very briefly that so um not that easy to summarize in 5 minutes but yeah well done a good good effort overall i think so can i just ask you kohli and bumrah after the boxing day win came out crediting the indian first class system for kind of building them up and and helping them win and what are your thoughts on the quality of indian first class cricket when you compare it to for example county cricket or sheffield shield cricket okay so it's really it is a little hard to compare exactly the quality in say the u say australia or in uh, the uh, english county cricket 
The first reason being that you play in possibly the most diverse conditions in any first class cricket. Uh, because our cricket season runs from October to uh, March, uh, when the weather is good enough to play cricket, you still have a variety of seasons because in South of the country is tropical, North of the country is sub-Himalayan and it can be pretty cold there. So you can go from playing in 5-10 degrees in the North of the country in Delhi and in uh, Dharamshala and you can next game can be in uh, Kochi and in Chennai where it's about 30 degrees in the shade and very humid. So it's a very diverse set of uh, conditions and also in terms of the pitch, in terms of the kind of soil they use to prepare the pitch. You have a different soil in the South of the country and a different so- kind of soil in the North of the country. So a player who plays in the elite and also for that matter in the other divisions can expect to face a variety of conditions in the span of about you know uh, three or four months. So as a batsman and as a bowler, you're consistently challenged in a whole range of situations. So someone like Boomrah has come through uh, after showing his quality across this wide range of uh, situations and across a wide range of conditions. Consider that it's not just Boomrah, but also Mayank Agarwal pretty much came from uh, domestic cricket right into uh, international cricket and looked very comfortable. This was not always the case. I mean, history is replete with a lot of Indian batsmen who amassed runs in domestic cricket and flopped horribly in um, test cricket. There is uh, There are also bowlers who picked up wickets by the bucket load in domestic cricket but failed to make the great. But in the last 8 to 10 years, I think the quality of the competition has genuine, genuinely picked up. Possibly because the kind of skills needed to succeed across the season is very, very varied. Awesome. Thanks for that awesome insight. I mean, it's, I, I think sometimes we don't actually realize how big the country is and how many different conditions these players have to play with. So maybe you're right that the jump that they have to make from domestic cricket to international cricket isn't that great anymore. Can I just come to this particular season that's ongoing um, at the moment? What I, I know you've been following it very closely. So what, what have your highlights been? Who are the players that we should be watching out for? Basically, who's going to be the next Mayank Agarwal or the next Bumrah? Who have you got an eye on? So let me just say that this season one of the, has been one of the most interesting ones because apart from the fact that we now have 37 teams, for the first time, I think in probably ever, the star teams of Bombay, or now Mumbai, Delhi, Baroda, Hyderabad, Tamil Nadu, all of whom have won between them several Ranji trophies in the last few years and uh, recently also, uh, and of course, historically, did not make it to the uh, knockouts, right? There were only five places open, admittedly, but the five teams, I think, in themselves are kind of interesting. Like, leave aside Karnataka, well-established and so on, but you had Vidharba, you had Kerala, you had Rajasthan, you had Saurashtra. From the top uh, groups as well. You also had Uttar Pradesh who made it through from the uh, lower leagues. And for the first time ever, Uttarakhand. Okay. They made it to the quarterfinals. Now, leave aside whether whether the quality throughout was always first class or not. But if you just look at even the elite teams, teams which used to be considered fairly easy beats in the 80s and 90s. And even in the first part of this century are now pushing their way to the top. Last year, Vidharba won the Ranji Trophy for the first time ever. Earlier this decade, we had Rajasthan win twice, who had never won it before. So you are having a lot of first-time winners. Saurashtra are making their third final in six, you know, what do you call, uh, in, the, in the last six editions. So the, you know, the, the, it used to be, we used to think that there were about four or five really good teams. But now I think that number is probably 10 or 12 out of uh, 37. Any one of 10 or 12 teams could 
potentially win the Ranji Trophy at the start of the season, and that's amazing. So I think that has been the highlight of the season. There have been a lot of interesting performers. Or actually, a couple of uh, interesting players came up through this particular season. You have Dharmendra Singh Jadeja, who plays for Rasaurashtra, the other Jadeja, as he's always known. But in the absence of the more famous Ravindra Jadeja, he has held together their bowling attack. Uh, they look pretty formidable. There was also Tani Rahmat, who plays for uh, Rajasthan, uh, who has this amazing rags to riches story, which is actually another aspect which feeds into the quality of first-class cricket. How much money the BCCI has invested. I mean, as an Indian cricket fan, I know it's a terrible organization, and I have a long rap sheet for it. But one thing, credit where credit is due, BCCI has invested in the kind of facilities and backup for players where first-class cricket is now a serious career. Someone like Tanvir, uh, who is a left-arm fast bowler, actually happened to catch him play in, in the Chinnaswamy Stadium, has that bustle and energy for a left-arm bowler that if he sustains it over two, three years, I'm sure he'll be knocking uh, for selection in India. But he's a guy who could not even afford to... I mean, he was making like 30, 40 rupees a day while trying to nurture a cricket passion. But once he got into the system... When his talent was identified, he was able, he's able to make a living out of it, right? And that would have not have been possible about even 20 years ago. You have true professionalism coming through in the ranks, which means that somebody who has that will and that energy to work and has that talent is identified and brought into the system as a professional. So just these two names I sort of wanted to throw out. Uh, I'm, a lot of, I'm, I'm more of a Karnataka fan. Two names I will uh, mention this time have done very well for Karnataka. Uh, one is Ronith Moring, who's filled a very important role as a frontline seamer for Karnataka. And KV Siddharth, who's had a stunning debut season, filling up you know, the, the hole in the top of Karnataka's batting order when Rahul and Ayank Agarwal uh, have been away on. The finals were ensured for Vidharpa and Saurashtra by uh, well-established international players. Umesh Yadav came in and destroyed Kerala twice to take 12 wickets. And of course, Cheteshwar Pujara, who had an unfortunate time in Karnataka, um, at least for the fans who scored a very, very valuable century and took Saurashtra home in the fourth innings. He did the same also. Uh, he sort of guided uh, Saurashtra's record-breaking chase in the quarterfinals. So, it's some mix of rising stars and it's some mix of fairly established uh, players which we have seen this season. Great, Alok. Now that you've mentioned Cheteshwar Pujara, right? We've just had a pretty heated semi-final between Saurashtra and Karnataka. So, I just want to talk about that a little bit. So, you're obviously a Karnataka boy through and through. Talk us through the big talking point. Did firstly Pujara hit it? Which personally, I don't think he actually did. And secondly, should he have walked? I mean, he was being celebrated by the whole country a little while ago. Yet the Bangalore crowd was calling him a cheater. Twitter was going nuts calling him cheatish Pujara. There were lots of jokes. But is, is Pujara a victim of the Dravid complex? And let me just elaborate on that. Someone who bats at number three for India is now just being expected to be Dravid, the gentleman who walks. I mean, Pujara is not walking. And, I mean, fair game to him when he edges it onto his pad and he's given out. No one's asking, no one's calling him back from the pavilion then, I think. Anyway, go, go on. Talk me talk me through the Pujara experience in Bangalore. A slightly frivolous but also an important point. There was a crowd. It is important, yeah. yeah. Now, we, we keep hearing about cricket being played in front of empty stadiums. There was a crowd watching a Ranji Trophy match that was passionate enough to start chanting, to keep track of what was going on, cheering up the players for two days. Sorry, there's also that point about the Saurashtra players clapping. 
Of course, and they started clapping because they're so used to playing in like empty stadiums. But you had, I mean, not a huge crowd, not an international match crowd, but you had a sizable crowd in the thousands who were actually watching and who cared enough, right? Who cared enough. Likewise, social media, I mean, it's been amazing. I remember before uh, Twitter and Facebook, it was hard to find some sort of a community of people who care about domestic cricket. Now you have uh, dedicated uh, Twitter handles, which tweet out the score, at least for Karnataka. They have followers in the tens of thousands. And you know, when social media catches fire on something like this, you're like, yes, finally, somebody cares. But no, uh, the most serious point, of course, Karnataka can't really complain. I mean, I can say that honestly as a Karnataka fan. We were the beneficiaries of a couple of umpiring howlers in the quarterfinal. Uh, Vinay Kumar was very clearly out uh, when he was guiding Karnataka to the lead against Rajasthan, but he wasn't given out. I think it was LBW. Yeah, it was LBW. And there was another one where a batsman whose bat nicked the pad, but he was uh, declared caught behind. That's fine. It's a problem with the quality of umpiring in domestic cricket. Ever-present uh, ever debate and it's not going to get resolved anytime soon. I do think though that, I mean, I at least on having seen the replays and stuff, my impression is he did nick it. But it's not his job to walk. I am firmly on the what's the umpire there for spectrum. It's nice if you do, but it's not nasty if you don't. And I don't want to leave this up to an individual batsman's morality. You want the umpire to be on the field to make these decisions. And I don't know. I don't think Dravid walked that much. I think that's a slightly false standard that we have created for ourselves and a slightly and an image that maybe Dravid is a little uncomfortable taking upon himself. I don't think he really walked that much. Gilchrist, yes, we know all those big, well, famous, famous incidents. But I think if I, if I recall correctly, I think Dravid also in this particular case said, yeah, what's the umpire there for? So, no, I have no issues with Pujara firmly standing his ground. You already nicked it. And uh, it's for the umpire to give him out. And if the quality of the umpiring is bad, I mean, inevitably, it tends to go both ways. And as I just mentioned, Karnataka were the beneficiaries of it. And I guess in the cooler light of day, we have to sort of accept that when it goes against us, we have to live with it and sort of tell the BCCI, hey, get your act together with regard to umpires and not just when we suffer from it. So, so do you ever see DRS being introduced into the local game? I mean, with the amount of money, as you said, that's being pumped into it, presumably being funneled from the IPL and elsewhere. Do you see the DRS ever making its way into domestic cricket? It'll be difficult because I think the expense at the moment may not justify it. Um, as I understand it, broadcasters see money that they spend on broadcasting the Ranji Trophy and so on as a bit of a subsidy, you know, which is giving this level of cricket this kind of coverage. I don't know how much they'd be willing to invest in the kind of tech that goes with the DRS. It would be nice if they do. I think the BCCI should work with them to do it. And I suppose if the demand gets strong enough, and if you can say, I mean, there are, there are two reasons to do it. One, you will get a ready stream of players well uh, versed in using the DRS. And two, you will dramatically improve the quality of umpiring also. So I think there are good reasons to do it. I just don't think it will happen very soon. Um, I could be wrong, of course, but it's because pretty much everything in the BCCI is weighed in terms of how much does it cost us and are we going to see any immediate benefit. I think the clamor has to get really, really loud before the BCCI says, yes, yes, we will do But that's it. You know, considering how quick they've been to try and abandon things which didn't work out, I think they may give it a shot sometime in the near future, but maybe the next, not the next couple of seasons. Great. We'll have to see what happens. Now, the last question for you, Alok. The Ranji Trophy final starts on the 3rd of February, which is Sunday. Give me your predictions for 
the Ranji Trophy final, who is going to win it? Already, Umesh has come out and said he's going to be targeting Pujara. Is it going to be Vidharva? Is it going to be Saurashtra? Is it going to be Saurashtra's year this year? Or Vidharva going to win it second time in a row? Go. So, in the last few years, we've had teams win through rule of two. We've had Rajasthan win two twice back-to-back. We've seen Karnataka win twice to twice back-to-back. I think both the teams are evenly matched. But what gives the edge is that Vidarbha have won it last year. They sort of have that confidence that we've done it. We can do it. When it comes to a crunch, I'd back Vidarbha. Not to say that Saurashtra is weak or uh, that they're not going to be able to uh, push through. But we, I can expect a close contest. I think I will. I think Vidarbha has the edge. Uh, and because just by virtue of the confidence that they carry through from having been winners and knowing what to do when you're in that situation, I think helps. And it's the same team pretty much, which won last year. So I would back Vidarbha. To say, I mean, not, not, not that, you know, Cheteshwar Pujara can make total dog's breakfast of my predictions. But all things said and done, I would say Vidarbha. Great. Thanks, Alok. So there you have it. Alok's backing with Harva to win this year's Ranji Trophy. Alok, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. It's been great speaking to you. And hopefully we can have you back on the podcast again soon. So thank you very, very much for your time. It was my pleasure. Hope to see you soon again. And that's it for this week's show. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Edges and Sledges Cricket Podcast. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, etc. at one tip one hand. And as always, give us a rating or a review wherever you listen to podcasts we really appreciate it this was a definitely a different unique episode for us where we spent a lot of time on first class cricket and all things Ranji trophy so definitely send us a message to let us know how you enjoyed it and we will be back in just a few days time with another really interesting episode so thanks again for joining us Hello, 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 everybody. It's been another great week on the IBM Podcast Network. On What the Hell Navya, Jaya Bachchan, Shwetananda, and Navya herself dish out stories from their childhood. They discuss tough love between parents and their kids. On Pesa Vesa, Anupam talks to Baman Irani, President-elect Kredai, and Chairman and MD at Rustamji. They discuss the concept of buy versus rent and how to approach buying property in 2022. On Cock and Bull, Cyrus is joined by Meghnath and comedian Shad Shafi. They discuss their opinions on the ongoing Congress presidential elections and Prashant Kishore embarking on a padyatra. On The Life Manifesto, Zarina narrates a story that advocates that stress and emotions are not to be controlled but must be beautifully managed. And on The Filter Coffee Podcast, Karthik is joined by Yashraj Akashi. Senior Ambassador of the TEDx Program and Curator of TEDx Gateway. They discuss the origin story of TED and its franchise model. Guys, go to our website, ivmpodcast.com. You can check out the merch store, also links to all of our social media stuff, which is at IVM Podcast. Also, do check out our YouTube channels. We have a number of channels with many of your favorite shows available as full video podcasts. Finally, we'd like to thank our sponsors this week, Volvo XC40 Recharge, Bumble, Heads Up for Tails, and HDFC Mutual Fund. Thank you so much for making this possible. Do you often find yourself surrounded by conversations about Web3, blockchain, NFTs, DAOs? What are these terms and how do they affect our future on the internet? So many questions, but don't worry, we've got answers to all your questions. Hi, I'm Eklavya Bhattacharya and on our show Future Proofing, we try to decode the impact of these future technologies on various industries with experts and tech enthusiasts. Tune into new episodes coming out every Thursday on the IBM Podcast app and the website or wherever you get your podcasts from.
Working Monday to Friday glued to your chair making you feel dull? Worry not. Get your 5-minute weekly dose of travel around the world with postcards from nowhere. Join me every Thursday as I explore the strange, obscure and fascinating parts of the world and bring out facets of travel you may not have thought of before. You can find us on the IBM Podcast app, website or wherever you get your podcast from.